Hello, I'm Chris Mandel, and I'd like to welcome you to Sedgwick's Virtual RIMS Week. I'm here with a good friend, Jill Brooks, who I'll introduce in a minute. We're here to talk to you about the session that we had planned to deliver at RIMS uh, Denver on what it means to be a trusted advisor to leadership. So I'm the uh, director of the Sedgwick Institute and senior vice president of strategic solutions at Sedgwick and a long-term global risk manager for most of my career. Um, and Jill is the Director of Risk Management for Coca-Cola Southwest Beverages in Dallas. She's got more than 25 years of risk management experience uh, and is, has proven in experience in managing risks of large real estate, real estate portfolios uh, and in various other types of industries. She has a Bachelor's in Risk Management from the University of Georgia, a Master's of Business Administration from Southern Methodist University and is a CPCU and an ARME, among other things. So welcome, Jill. Thank you, Chris. I'm happy I, to be uh, here. Great to be with you, and I'm glad we were able to deliver some semblance of what we had planned to do in Denver. So with that introduction, uh, I'm going to hand it off to you. Okay. Well, I'd like to know from you, how other risk professionals can build a strong foundation for becoming a trusted advisor? Well, you know, Jill, I mean, to me, this is kind of the pinnacle of, of risk management uh, performance and success. That is, if you, if you can be recognized as somebody who is reliable, knows what they're talking about, and can be trusted, then I think you've got the nirvana of risk management because it all flows from there. So what's a good foundation? Well, for me, I think about education first, as many of us do, and I automatically sure. think that there is no one right path. Uh, I might say emphasize a, you know, a financial background or acumen because I think so much of risk has to do with financial implications, but just as importantly, we need to be strategic in mindset and the way we think. So educationally, I think we can come from anywhere. And I've hired people from all kinds of places with all kinds of backgrounds. Same with experience. There really is no one right path, in my view, to get you to uh, you know, the best foundation. Obviously, if you do what you did and went to UGA and got a risk degree, that's awesome. You know, I think you're, in some sense you're a bit of ahead of everyone else. But I've hired really talented people who came to me with economics degrees or English degrees or any number of things that worked out to be super professionals. So for me, it's about educationally, you know, showing you have the technicals, learning your industry and organization, and then securing and refining that technical expertise, as well as showing how you can produce results and have an impact on the organization strategy. Well, what are your thoughts about that? Do you, are there other foundational elements that you think I've missed? Uh, no, I think that's great. And, and I ended up getting my MBA in finance and strategy. Uh, to, to your point, I, I felt like the industry was moving more in a financial direction. And um, strategy is, is beneficial for everybody. Uh, so that was, I, I followed right in line with what you were saying. And Technical skills, I think there's plenty of resources for that. There's webinars, there's um, podcasts like this, and there's, there's just a plethora of various designations out there. 
And local rooms chapters and, and global rooms have amazing resources. So I, I think there's a plethora of ways that people can develop their technical skills. Yeah, I agree. And we're going to talk at the end about some resources that are going to be available to our listeners where they can go deeper on some of these topics. Meanwhile, um, uh, I think you have a question. No, I have a question for you now. And, you know, as we said in our blog piece, in case you've seen it already, soft skills are often maybe not given as much attention as they should be versus technical. And I would argue that, you know, every person who comes into this risk management world needs to be at least on their way to becoming a technical expert. If you're coming into a number one job, I think it's assumed that you are a technical expert. So the real issue is how do you take that technical expertise and translate it into being a trusted advisor? And in this case, the question is, what about these soft skills? So what are your thoughts about that, Joe? Soft skills are key. I, I think being able to do presentations well, that's important, and overall communication. And something that my company is offering to us right now, I'm finding invaluable. They have provided for all their management staff uh, access to a Harvard online program, and a perfect soft skill lesson in this. Uh, I just went through this module called Managing Your Boss, and it had some great takeaways. One of them was um, get to know your boss. And it's not just getting to know their preferences from a business perspective so that you know how to send an email that he'll actually, he or she will actually read. Uh, do they prefer bullet points? Do they prefer summaries? Uh, do they want information in person rather than via email? Do they like charts and graphs? All of that. It's really reading your boss, understanding what, what helps them, what drives them, how you can support them. But then it also mentioned getting to know your boss as a person. And I think that's a, a wonderful approach. And, and one of the greatest soft skills is really getting to know your coworkers so that you can, you can chat with them, not just talk business to them, whether that's about football or um, the future of the company, you know, it, it can be their new puppy, whatever, just so that you've got an actual relationship with your, your boss as well as your other coworkers. What are your very, thoughts, Chris? Very much. Very much agree. Well, you know, to me, trust comes from first from kind of being perceived as knowing your stuff. And hopefully it's not just a perception. It's, it's an actual fact. <laughs> sure. uh, but that goes back to my comment about you know, being technically competent, right? But at the end of the day yep. and throughout all of the, what we do, interpersonal um, connections are so critical. Uh, just to being, uh, getting an audience, right, being listened to. Mm -hmm. And that really is all about relationship building, to your point. I, and I say you know, that relationship building, if I think about the broader risk management stakeholder community, is all up and down the chain of command from the bottom to the top. Because I don't know about you, Jill, but I always think about uh, you know, really building a risk culture where everybody's a little risk manager. You know, oh, it's always used that yes. phrase. And this is the only way to do yeah. it. You know? So you start with yeah. that building relationships, and, and, and then you get people to you know, listen and, and realize what this, this is all about. The, the other thing I wanted to add on this item, Jill, 
um, and I don't know if you've ever seen this, but there's an IBM survey of CFOs. It's a little bit dated, but it was an interesting result because it really wanted to know amongst all the kind of functional experts in the company, you know, what were their risk appetites perceived to be from high to low, and what were their organizational mindsets perceived to be from short-term tactical to long-term strategic? And, you know, for better or for worse, and this is more than a 1,000 CFOs at the time, the risk manager was down in the, in the lower left quadrant of the, of the way these things were, were graphically depicted, which meant that the risk manager, using that title, was perceived as having a low tolerance for risk and being tactically and short-term focused, whereas the strategist was up in the top opposite corner, high appetite for risk, highly strategic. And you won't be surprised up in a corner with both the CEO and other line executives. Now, if we recognize a chief risk officer to be somebody maybe operating at a higher level but having similar responsibilities to a risk manager, maybe at middle level, then that same survey distinguished between the two and said they perceive those folks to be having at least a little more appetite for risk and being a little more strategically oriented. I say all that because I think our journey is to move up towards that upper right quadrant on this graphic and become both more able to handle risk, if you will, and more strategically focused. I agree with that. And and I, I've always said something and with my coworkers is I'm not going to tell you you can't do something. I'm going to give you the the reasons behind the thought and give you the resources to make the decision on your own. And so it becomes a business decision, not just a risk management decision. Right. Well put. I couldn't agree more. So since we're talking about dealing with your coworkers and, and leaders, what are those influencing skills that you recommend? Well, um, here's a few things uh, that I think are pretty important to kind of establish that credibility and to improve your ability to influence other decision makers. First, I would say focus on daily proving your technical expertise by showing results. And, you know, we, we often think about, okay, we get to the end of the year and here's what we've done and, you know, we have our performance review and maybe if you're in a more, uh, little more robust company, you get that reviewed quarterly, maybe not. But I think regardless, we need to discipline ourselves to demonstrate what, what we're doing to add value uh, on a frequent basis. And even if it's small stuff, it, it, cumulatively, it changes people's perception. So if we're even on a technical level able to show that we're producing results, it's having an effect on the business and its goals and objectives, then I think that's a pretty critical a aspect of establishing and supporting our credibility with others, particularly other leaders. I think we also need to focus on building great teams that support the business segments uh, in terms of what they need from risk management and, and the risk management uh, uh, stakeholders and staff. So, you know, again, that's another expectation, I think, of good leaders, you know, that we build good teams and then they, they support the business. I think we also need to show a willingness to take our own prudent risks. And again, that that ability to take risk uh, and support risk-taking in a prudent way supports strategic objectives. 
uh, on an ultimate basis. And then lastly, I would say, and I heard this from so many people over the years that I reported, to tell them what they don't know about risk. And this came up in the context of emerging risks and things that nobody had a line of sight for, but which they were, you know, increasingly worried about as you went up the chain of command and even into the board. And so telling them what they don't know is really a euphemism for recognizing that they can get information from a lot of the same sources you might, but they look at risk leaders as those people who hopefully have insights over the horizon, around the corners, to things that uh, ostensibly could be pretty destructive on the negative side, and then on the positive side might bring uh, value by uh, being able to take new or incremental risks that could improve the chance that the company might succeed. Does that make sense? Absolutely, and it goes back to the point of being strategic as well. Yes, very much so. And, you know, I think from the board perspective, and I think there's a little bit of a nuance there, we need to make sure we know what the board's role is, which I call risk oversight, right? So it, it's, not, it's not tactical, it's more strategic, to your point. So we need to understand what they need and give them only what they need if we even have that access. And if we don't have direct access, we still need to find a way to get them uh, what they need indirectly and help them understand that, that concept of balanced risk-taking, which they then need to oversee management for, who are actually taking most of the risks, reporting to them what needs fixing, not necessarily what's all rosy, but really what's wrong and what's being done about it. And then lastly, showing them that you're all over something like emerging risks, which from my perspective has been on the, the radar of boards for probably better than 15 years. And we're living one of those right now. It's no longer emerging. It's here. That's right. So, Jill, let me ask you a question. How sure. do managers sitting in, a say, a middle management chair have a meaningful impact on significant decision-making? Because you know, you know plenty of folks that would say, I don't have access to those people, or, you know, I'm just here grinding it out. You know, they don't ask me for help in making better strategic decisions. What, what would you say to them? Well, I think first you have to think strategically, and, and if that's not a skill set you believe that you currently have, go figure it out. Figure that part of it out first. Um, learn strategy skills, whether that is through online classes or um, working on your MBA or just there, there are plenty of resources out there talking with senior management and, and asking them to help you develop that skill even I think is a great idea. One of the things that I also think is helpful is don't just present the problem. Risk managers end up with a lot of problems on our plates, and we can be the bad news department. But mm -hmm. you have to balance that with some good news too. So offer solutions. We had a situation recently at my company where we had a uh, hail claim involving pretty much complete destruction to a roof of a distribution warehouse in West Texas. And the cost to replace the roof with the same type of roof that's currently on there costs more than the building is worth. 
And in these times of financial challenges, we don't want to spend that kind of money. And it's, of course, below our property insurance deductible. Mm-hmm. So I didn't want to just go to my boss and say, hey, we've got this really expensive claim. There's no insurance for it. Um, oh, well. I wanted to give him some possible solutions. So I went to our engineering department and said, what else can we do here? Can we maybe make this a, a drop lot, You know, just demolish the building itself and um, go with an alternative method for our supply chain? And so I presented that to my boss and the head of supply chain management. But then I had also gotten the engineer thinking, and so she went back to her roofing consultant and got options for for replacing with a different type of roof, one that's not the same as what was destroyed, but cheaper options. Mm-hmm. And and that gives us multiple solutions, and we're, we're being strategic, we are being helpful, and we are keeping costs down. And so that's, to me, that is a meaningful effect. Yes, I agree. That's a, a great example, you know, having solutions that people need for sure. A couple things I would add to that are demonstrate, you know, that the organization's strategy and what risk could most affect it. Be ready to demonstrate sure. you've developed a thoughtful, thorough risk strategy and its connection to company performance and the ultimate success of the organization. And then make supporting the business your priority. Worry less about your own recognition and career. I personally believe those things will fall into place uh, naturally. Yep. And by the way, just as an aside, and this is relevant to my comments about boards, there's some other research out there that shows that strategic risks are by far the most significantly impactful from destroying organizational value. So it's another plug for, you know, really understanding strategy, uh, the risk to strategy, and specifically strategic risks in particular. That's a great point. So from a career, a strategic career standpoint, how, or excuse me, what do you think are the most important elements of success as a trusted advisor, and what happens if, if success is a challenge and you end up in survival mode? What do you do mm-hmm. then? And that does happen for sure. I'm sure some people sure. are feeling that right now in the midst of this yeah. uh, COVID-19 crisis, but it's a great question. So here's my thoughts. Provide actionable, reliable information to the right leaders at the right time. You won't believe how effective that can be when you really kind of narrow and refine it to to those traits. Because just pumping out reports, you know, for the sake of it, just really falls flat in today's environment. Um, So make it actionable, reliable, and focused. I'd also focus on getting ahead of the curve on what matters to leadership now. And that's a matter of having your pulse on the organization and knowing what's going on with shifting priorities, which is a pretty continuous issue. Um, I I think you should be able to show recurring objective impact on the organization's mission, goals, strategy, and objectives. And then with regard to those that might find themselves in a survival mode, the things that occur to me are that you might quickly find the ways to contribute that makes those biggest impacts, even under those stressful conditions. 
Make sure you keep your team motivated and focused on the right priorities. And frankly, just to be blunt about it, have a job contingency plan. Have an exit strategy. I always did. And, I, you know, I rarely needed it, but I always thought it was a good thing to have. And I think, you know, risk managers being good uh, contingency planners, it's probably a good idea for them personally as well. Yeah, that's career risk management right there. Indeed. Um, so, Jill, let's move on to another question. What are the most important elements of a career plan that you think drives successful influencing, contributing to organizational success, and ultimately being recognized as that key participant in helping drive that success? I've got a number of thoughts on that. Uh, the, the first of which is um, be a resource. Risk management, people think of us as just the, the insurance department. You need to be a resource beyond just the procurer of insurance. And that can be uh, contract reviews, um, being part of that, any acquisition team, uh, merger and acquisition team, and providing presentations to um, the field staff, whether that's general managers throughout your properties or any other folks who could benefit from your knowledge on loss control, things that can help the whole company think as risk managers and be a better risk, keeping your losses down and overall affecting your total cost of, excuse me, total cost of risk. Mm -hmm. uh, I recently decided that I needed to not just be a cost center, but not necessarily be a profit center, but have a little bit of income coming in, I realized that our company was not subrogating claims when somebody hit us rather than us hitting a, a third party. So I instituted subrogation claims in our, with our third party administrator which happens to be Sedgwick. And through that, uh, in the first year that I started it, uh, we'd only been going about six months, and I was happy to report to my boss that in those six months, we had recovered enough on subrogation claims that it more than covered my, my salary. So that, that's a good uh, survival technique as well, is to, to show, to prove your worth uh, by, things that you can bring into the company, not just all the expenses that you're, you're spending on insurance premiums. Mm -hmm. another, thing is, <laughs> another thing is to be a team player. You know, offer assistance to your boss. Right now, offer assistance to, to other departments. Everybody's super busy right now, and risk managers among them. But if there are ways that you can help your coworkers to get the job done better, to understand the risks that are at play right now, that benefits you, it benefits your brand, and it benefits the company. So I, I think that's a, an overall overarching approach to, to yourself and your career. Mm -hmm. Very good. Well, let me cap that off by just offering my last bit of advice, and that is have a career strategy that's underpinned by becoming a, an effective leader. 
because that's that's the combination I think that gets you ahead. And in that career strategy, and combined with a risk strategy, just make sure you've got a strategy for communicating, training, educating, and and driving a risk culture. So, with that, um, I'm going to close this out by letting our audience know that we hope to have some resources posted um, at the site affiliated with this particular podcast um, that will support what we've been saying and offer uh, some other detail on some core competencies that relate to uh, effective risk leadership and management, as well as some other things uh, from RIMS and otherwise that support that. And that will be available uh, at www.sedgwick.com forward slash RIMS, which will be our uh, Sedgwick RIMS resource page. So I'd like to uh, thank Jill for taking the time to do this podcast with me, and I hope you all got a lot out of it. Thanks, Jill. Thanks, Chris.